0: Working in the field of performance, photography, painting, sound, installations and film he will dive and discover with us and a weekly creative guest into the unknown and exciting deep ocean of the creative mind.
1: Hello, dear listeners. This is Detlef Schlich, and you listen to Party Today, we dive into the unknown and exciting deep ocean of the creative mind together with David Sieger. Hi, David. Hi. Last part, we um, talked about uh, his time in Leeds as a teacher for. 25 years and uh, i must say he has uh, a lot of knowledge that's it's incredible so guys listen to it it's really very informative i hope that we can continue our talk here outside in my garden because uh the farmer was working with the tractor and uh it's still his break it's what is it half half one or something like this and i and I hope he he will stay away for more than half an hour or an hour or whatever you know so fingers crossed all right david hello we're gonna stop I'd already mentioned there, so yeah, I mean your time in leeds did you enjoy the art college i mean is it it was probably very much different than 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 nowadays. Uh, studying art, isn't it?
2: Well, it it was unique. It was the only college in Europe that was, uh, bar the Bauhaus, that was actually based not on an academic uh, classical structure. Who was
1: teaching the Bauhaus
2: things? You? Uh, Well, the teachers who were informative of what we did were people. There were architects, Gropius and... uh, Mies van der Rohe and Corbusier.
1: And they came, they came
2: and. and, and No, no, no. But we were introduced to them by. That was one of the beautiful things that happened. There was on the School of Architecture course at the same college was a mature student called David Lewis, who was the biographer of Brancusi. But he was highly knowledgeable in modern art. He was a very close friend of Barbara Hepworth. Many artists in Cornwall, it lived in Cornwall for quite a long time. People like Terry Frost.
1: I've heard it's beautiful there. I mean, a Roger, lot.
2: A- Roger Hilton, the, the, the up and coming modern. Remember, this was 1955. Yeah. You know, these people were just at their beginnings. Absolutely. Terry Frost was local to us. He did teach us. He was a um, Gregory Fellow at Leeds University. Yeah. So he had his colour theory first hand. But David Lewis was extremely instrumental in our education. He had at his disposal 35-millimeter slides that were just beginning to be available, Kodak and. Uh, so, so,
1: it, so it was supported by by Who uh, were
2: producing this fabulous color film? Yeah. Uh, so slides could be projected in full color. He had. The whole armory of photos he'd taken of European art, yeah. which he shared with us. He'd met many of them. he told us about Broncusi. he met him and knew him before he died. So we had the, that first hand. The best modern sculptors the world yeah, has, I mean, has ever had. Um, the Bauhaus teachers, people like Joseph Albus, Paul Clay, all put theoretical uh, ideas about educating artists um Albers went on to america and opened his own art school uh, uh paul clay is renowned for his uh studies and um uh theoretical work as well as his um performance in his own work yeah um and the, one of the things our our new head of department, Harry Thuberham, all right, who brought this together as a course, which he called the Basic Course, which began, as I say, with this point and line kind of thing, but yeah. he in fact was not a um, an abstract artist in that classical or not classical but um, fundamental abstract sense he was far more of a Zen performer and he made a, a much more intuitive um, formulation of, of very sticky wet canvases that explored colour and yeah. uh, simplicity but with the material more than with the uh, the actual illusion.
1: A lot of things were explored in this time and discovered. Well, that
2: was, we were right. I mean, there was a lot going on in America. We heard about that, people like some Francis and Pollock. Yeah. Uh, All that was going on simultaneously. It was on the grapevine.
1: I mean, I'm getting frustrated if, if I see all that, what happens in the sixties, you know, because yeah. nowadays. Well, this
2: was fifties, before 50s. the sixties. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is weird. It did blossom out. The basic course became written down in the book and everybody took it as a recipe. It was never yeah. a recipe. Yeah, It was no, never sure, intended sure, in sure, that kind sure, of sure. thing. Um, so we, we uh, uh, initially I went, as I say, as a pencil drawer with a, probably a a prospect of having a career in the graphics or advertising world or illustration or something like that Um, and the obligatory teacher training year and I'd end up with some kind of art teacher. Now it all changed with this uh, new course that came in and I ended up going to an evening class for pottery. All right. And ended up becoming the um i managed the ceramic studio and ceramics not as a pottery craft yeah i mean it was a craft and we did all the craft uh skills but it was another way of making fine art it, 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 the material sure, was sure. The, f- the the it gave an uh, an extra loop to follow for the fine artist. Uh, and I became one of them, and I ended up and making you, you original stick to work it. that, that uh, you know uh, I can claim some originality. I did a great deal of casting and uh, making things in molds, taking facsimiles of objects yeah. by throwing plaster on them, and I had some very remarkable I mean, clay.
1: students. I mean, clay is, is 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 great. Yeah, it, it I
2: was mean, clay and plaster and. Any other material that you put with it, you don't necessarily have to stick to the one material. Um, But my students, one of whom became a very well-known potter, Carol McNichol, who souls worked, she started selling teapots to Japan, uh, had a big exhibition, she's extremely well-known.
0: like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support.
2: Well, now back to the show. Um,
1: Didn't you fancy in this time then? Quitting your job as a teacher and, and doing more for yourself, I mean, I didn't do that until so. I left in
2: 1988. I always made work. Um, that was one of the beauties of that school, was that the teachers were employed as artists and they were given time to do their own work. Uh, in a five-day yeah. week, we had a whole day about doing our own work, either on the premises or, or I elsewhere. think
1: if you're once in the mill, you're, you're in the mill, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, uh, life changed completely. And, and you, you're part of the, the institutions and uh, I mean, which is secure. You get your money.
2: I always saw my role as the uh, the cheerleader, the ring roster. I didn't. It was their art. It was their work. It, it was my job to kind of steer them towards making it in a better way, giving more um, digesting what they were doing better. That's, that's what good uh, teachers and, are know, doing, isn't refining it? Refining yeah. and asking questions and being able to stand back from something uh, and not get too bound up with it so that you can see it from a distance. Um, but as I say, and, and, and the end product isn't an artist. The end product is a creative mind that might go into a different profession entirely one of the remarkable ones that very few people know about was a man called Philip Orchard he made teapots with me and he made really very clever teapots yeah but um he was interested in theatre uh props and he he liked acting he was uh, very very kind of enthusiastic he was
1: and he was well, English,
2: probably, wasn't he? He, w- he was English, he was very gifted. He went to a gifted uh, sixth form college in Birmingham, um, and we took him direct onto the course. He didn't do a pre diploma course, he came straight to us. But the proof was in the pudding. When he left, he, he got a job behind the, the scenes in the theatre at the Leeds Playhouse. Um, and very soon became very skilled at making props he was a master of yeah. polystyrene and chainsaws yeah. Yeah. Uh, ended up with his own company making props right. for the Olympic Games okay. opening ceremonies all of them apart from Be- uh, Beijing now he was able to make he made castles for shakes in the desert oh, out of yeah. polystyrene painted up uh, the wow. proximity of the real wow. thing.
1: Can can, can he can made th- a
2: model of the Eurostar train before the Eurostar train existed. I
1: might put a link in into yeah. it as well. So we have to think about that because I would love to see this this work as well.
2: Well, very little I can show him. I've just bought the D V D of the opening ceremony of the English um Olympic Games where he did all these big uh, with Danny Boyle doing these uh um, you know this amazing kind of installations of the uh, National Health Service uh, uh, and Telford and um, the whole the whole illusion of uh, British creative history that was put on the stage in a massive arena. Wow, wow! Yeah, I
1: can't and imagine. Philip that.
2: did that. His little company produced that, and he'd done it for all the other remarkable opening ceremonies. Name never, re- never existed.
1: Yeah, wow, wow. I mean, never
2: got the credit for the poor man died. He had a bad lung condition when he was with us. I met up with him again about five years ago when he was on the list, and he had been for at least 10 years for a lung transplant. All right, eventually got it. Mm. Um, uh. And then some it was all very successful and then six months or so afterwards he had to have a checkup and some minor adjustment and he had a hemorrhage and it finished him off with mid fifties, a very young one, but um, he made his mark. Great uh, I mean, privilege of mine to have had It is a, hand a very
1: exhausting job as well if if you have this responsibility, isn't it? I mean you probably fifteen hours a day looking and checking and everything
2: I've no idea of that at all I've no idea of his his actual I mean
1: that's 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 time is money for behind
2: the scenes he had a remarkable team yeah he wasn't a one-man band he he had a a company who produced these things yeah but um so uh, so you
1: saw many many from your students going and and uh becoming a proper artist, uh, which is very difficult in the well, art world. Well, are there aren't many of them,
2: but there are other people, like Mark Armand was one of my students who did Summix, and he ended up being a very well-known pop star.
1: Uh, Mark Armand, yeah, I know, still know him. Uh, this Mark Armand from,
2: what is the band again?
1: Uh, Soft Cell. Yeah, Tainted Love, right. Two of them yeah love. That's Yeah, his,
2: absolutely. It wasn't his song, actually. That one. Yeah. He sang it. Do you? Somebody else's song, but.
1: Uh
2: uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> he's still acting <laughs> and he's theatrical. He does acting and all sorts of stuff. I, I, it uh, didn't respond to uh, my little attempt to get near him again. But.
1: Uh, <laughs> do you think? Do you think that? Do you think that that it was easier to? making income as artists in the 50s, 60s, than nowadays?
2: There's no answer to that question. Yeah. I can't answer that. I mean, I've I've had the privilege of being given, to start with a part-time job that paid me, I think I got something like three days part-time teaching, and it was very lucrative. It was a really good income. Uh, maybe a hundred quid a week. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I the don't equivalent nowadays of maybe 400, something like that.
1: I just wonder, I mean it generally because, I mean, population A is, is far more bigger nowadays as well. And, uh, and I, I wonder if, if, if it's already oversaturated somehow, you know.
2: The only people who make a living in the arts are the administrators.
1: Yeah, that's what you know, I mean. The, the that's uh, what I there mean. are
2: a few who sell work, but yeah. most, of, yeah. most so of the art world so is, is uh, financed for the administrators, yeah. to build buildings for the administrators, not for the artists. No. So what do you
1: think? What is what? What is the role of an artist? the, the artist
2: dreams for the for his community, yeah. and it might be a big community, it might be just a little one, it might be his family, yeah. her family.
1: Yeah, I mean, but-
2: You know, it, no. it, it, there's, there is no recipe, uh, there never I was. know,
1: I know. I think that's, that's the best there case is, scenario. There is a
2: tradition of famous artists, people like Damien Hirst, who's a travesty, the, uh, even Warhol, it's somebody I don't rate particularly highly. It's an industry. It's a, um, And yeah. even Henry Moore, um, I could talk about him quite a lot, but yeah. Henry Moore um, ended up, his, his best work was his hand-carved stone yeah. between the thir- 1930 and 1940, which was real, and it was him. Uh, After that, he became a modeler, and he had students making his work. Yeah. Um, The really genuine Henry Moore's were the little models, the the best reclining figure he made. Yeah. It's about eleven inches. Okay. Uh, Solid bronze. um, It's the most immaculate object. Yeah. We take. Mean back to a little story if we've time.
1: If we have, we're gonna probably do Um, it another time for sure. i
2: see um, you. Put it on the record now, you can fit it in where you feel like. But um, I was um, way back in the early 60s, mid 60s, would say. Um my first wife's mother was uh worked in an antique shop and she was on the grapevine for the antiques. Uh, for instance she sold uh Crown Derby plates to the the big fairground that came to Leeds adjacent to where her shop was on Woodhouse Mall. Okay. And these people they had a lot of wealth but no space. So they the eight or four hundred pounds Crown Derby plates for their dinner
1: yeah.
2: but anyway um, she knew these people who had a collection of glasses and in, in England there was something called an old ale glass which was a, a very simple conical glass yeah. that held about quarter of a pint on a On a stem, which was a a little globe, and then the disc, so that this cone globe circle, uh, as common as jam jars way back 100 years ago. These people had a collection, so we re engineered a a trip to their house to see this collection. The point was that when people had a drink with one of those glosses, they drank it off and threw the glosses no in the fireplace. No No. Now, by 1960, yeah. the only Old Ale glosses in the world yeah. were in their collection. There were 150 left. <laughs> and they had them all. So we went to this house. All right. The point of the story is not glosses. Yeah. On the mantelpiece was yep. this little silver sculpture of Atlas, yeah. solid silver. Okay. Atlas with the world on his shoulder. Mm. It was about eleven inches high, mm-hmm. maybe less, nine inches yeah. high. And I kept looking at this, and I really caught my eye. And I give myself credit for noticing it, right. but I could see these this man and his wife looking at each other. Um, shall we tell him? And he eventually nodded his head. And she said, would you like to hold that? Yeah. So she gave him this probably four pounds of silver, solid silver. Yeah. <laughs> she said, you, you, you know, you're very good don't tell people what it that is. Yeah. It was Benvenuto Cellini original. All right. It was the real thing. It was yeah. uninsurable. Nobody knew they had it. <laughs> it was it disappeared. Yeah. I, where they got it from or how, I was more or less sworn into secrecy. Yeah. That's why I'm not telling you their name.
1: <laughs> no, because don't do it please. I this mean,
2: uh, was one of the most extraordinary pieces of art I've ever seen. Wow. And that man carried the world on his shoulders. So did you did you
1: did you ever wash your fingers after that? Oh yes, now and well, your it corona. Wasn't that,
2: thing. <laughs> it was just the fact that this man had modelled this. Yeah. And he didn't have to be, you know, kind of um enormous. Yeah. You know, no in Damien I, mean. a Jamie I, and I, I, I it think it was nine inches high. Yeah. As with the the Venus of Valindoff, everybody thinks that's a gigantic sculpture. Yeah. Four inches high yeah. is the Venus of the Lindorff. I
1: think you really you can you can feel that spirit if it you have it is in your hands.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: David, I thank you very much for this story. I would say for today we leave it. We are already imo- over 20 minutes, and uh, the attention span of listeners is about 18 minutes. Okay. So it was great. Thank you for having me here. My pleasure. Very good. Bye, bye, and bye, my lovely audience. Ciao. This is a listener-supported show. I feel honored if you subscribe to this show. You can follow me non-financial. With the following click on one of my Instagram accounts or subscribe to the visual version of this podcast on YouTube via the link below. If you like what you hear, be sure to tune in this Sunday for the third part of this Artitude audio triptych. If you want to leave a donation for a coffee or a bus ticket, just follow the donation link via the Artitude podcast account. Eventually I would like to thank through this medium all my members and listeners of the I Love West Cork Artists Network from all over the world just to remember myself that without you this year couldn't and wouldn't happen.
0: You have listened to Artitude. West Cork's first art, fashion and design podcast. RT2, never so close again. Ah. That was too close.